We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. I'm sure you've heard of the story of the little girl who was reading Jonah, right? You've heard of it, right? So the little girl was reading Jonah, and this guy, atheist guy, comes up to her, and he kind of you know, chuckles, and he says, little girl, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm reading my Bible. She says, what are you reading? I'm reading Jonah. And uh, the guy says, well, you know, that's silly. Do you really, really, truly believe that? Come on. You know, a, a fish, a whale, whatever it may be, swallowing a grown man. Please tell me you don't really believe that. And the little girl just kind of looks at him and says, sir, I do. You know, it says it in the Bible, and, and one day, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah for all the details. And so the man kind of chuckles to himself, and he, he, he thinks, like, yeah, really? How do you know Jonah's going to make it to heaven? He asks her, and the little girl kind of pauses for a while, and she says, well, if he doesn't make, make it, you can ask him. <laughs> so it's so important to believe the word of God, huh, guys? You better believe. You better believe. Turn, turn with me to your Bibles at John chapter 6. We're going to be looking or starting at verse 15. And while you're turning there, um, I'm going to read something else in John uh, that Jesus said to his disciples to kind of give content to, uh, to what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, it's in uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to be starting at verse 15. But I'm going to read out of John 14, 11, where it says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You know, what Jesus was trying to do here is he was trying to get his disciples to understand who he was, wasn't he? Um, someone said that the disciples were bad students, and that's why Jesus called them the disciples. Okay? You guys are bad students, too, because it took you a little while to get that. I was a bad student. I would have been in the F-disciples, Okay? But in this, in this verse, Jesus is telling them, I and the Father are, are, are one, one in essence, one in heart. I am in the Father and the Father in me. And Jesus, again, basically is telling them, I am God. I am God. I, this, this passage, you remember, is, is right before he goes uh, to the cross, right before he goes back to heaven. And when he tells them, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. In my Father's houses are many mansions. And he's trying to get them to understand um, where they're at. And he's trying to get them to understand who he is. But he says, if you can't believe my words in John 14, 11, believe the works, the signs, the miracles. Jesus did miracles primarily to point to who he was. Um, yes, he did many uh, miracles of compassion. In fact, um, you know, the couple of times that we read that Jesus wept, it was over compassion, huh? It was because he had compassion for the people. He had compassion for Israel, you know, who, who, who was like a, a little chick without a, without a mother, you know. Or he had compassion for, for the family of Lazarus who, who died, and, and, and the family wept over what sin did, you know, which ultimately causes death. He had compassion. But the miracles were meant to point to who he was. That's why he did the miracles. And one of the miracles is the feeding of the multitudes. Huh? We know that, that that miracle known as the feeding of the 5,000. Of course, there was many more than 5,000 because the 5,000 was just the men. There was women and children there as well. So it was a multitude of people that were fed. It was an amazing miracle. Our passage that we're going to be covering today in John chapter 6, starting with verse 15, is immediately following this miracle. 
In fact, look at what it says if you're already there in, in John chapter 6, verse 14. It says, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, the feeding of the multitude, right, said, truly, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So, so far so good, huh? Because if, Je if Jesus did miracles to point to who he was, then it was working, right? But not so fast. Let's begin with uh, verse 15. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountains by himself alone. Now, I was kind of wrestling with the title for this study. I was thinking, you know, what, what can I call it? Is it growing in your faith from needing of Jesus to needing Jesus? And I guess that kind of makes sense. But a sister and a brother at first service says, we have the perfect title. And it says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. And I kind of looked at him and I said, that's like a double thing. Why are you repeating yourself? They said, no, it's all in the exclamation. Give, comma, me Jesus is a demand. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. And the other one with no comma with an exclamation is give me Jesus. And that's really what we're going to be discussing, the, the difference between the two. Um, Many people pursue Jesus because of what he can do for them. Um, if we're honest, a lot of us came to Jesus because it was a, a need, right? There was a marriage that was falling apart. There was a loved one that, that, that needed healing. And we knew that we can depend on doctors, that the only one that we can depend on is in a higher power, and that was God. And that's why we came to him. And there's many people that are unhappy in some aspect of their life, and they come to Jesus because they heard that he's the, the cure, that he's the pill to take care of their situation, to make them happy. Maybe it's an illness again. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Whatever it is here in verse 15, Jesus knew that the people were impressed more by the miracle than by the person. They knew the promises of Moses, didn't they? In Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So they knew the promises. They were expecting the Messiah. And when Jesus fed the multitudes, they thought to themselves, Yeah, you know, I, I can sign on to this. I, I can follow somebody that's going to provide for me in this way. They, they looked at him as the answer to the iron fist of Rome. They looked at them as, finally, someone's going to be able to make us happy. They had suffered much persecution, and we know through studying the Bible that a lot of that was judgment towards their disobedience to God. So they thought to themselves, this is him. This is him. He's the one that's going to save us from our current situation. He's the one that's going to make us happy. Let's crown him right now. But Jesus wouldn't have none of it, huh? Uh, something very similar happened in, in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Again, he did a sign, and people were flocking to him. But it says, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You know, we, we are pretty, some of us have discernment, and we can tell, you know, what's going on with certain people. A lot of us just kind of look at the outside exterior, but, but God has what, huh? He has the ability to look straight into our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows everything about us. So here in verse 15, we're told that instead of saying, hey, come on down, follow me. Let's make a church. Make me the king. He went to the mountains alone. And, and, and he wasn't alone, though, because Matthew 14 and Mark 6 both tell us that he went to pray 
with the Father. He went to go get strength. He went to go get, you know, actual direction from the Father. And that's something important that we need to do in situations where we're tempted, you know, to take what the world wants to give us. And it's interesting to me, but this isn't the first time that someone was trying to make Jesus king. When's the first time that someone was trying to make Jesus king? It was when Satan told him, I'll give you all of this if you just simply bow down to me. And so it wasn't the first time that he was faced with this. Let's make him king so that we're taken care of. Let's make him king so that we can be happy. And on a side note, I was just thinking, you know, it's very important that when we share Jesus with people, that that we are very, very careful to not communicate that all of a sudden you're going to get instant happiness, that everything's going to be hunky-dory. Those of you that have been Christians for a while, you know that sometimes it's been harder, huh? It's been harder because now you're swimming upstream as opposed to before you used to just go with the flow. Right? There was something to run to. There was a bottle. There was a, a drug. There was something to run to where now there isn't. Now we, we swim upstream. Now we endure. Now we turn to Jesus. And so we got to be very, very careful that when we share with people, we let them know, hey, he is the only way. He is the only way. He is your only solution. But not that we promise happiness. We could promise joy, which is so much better than happiness but we cannot promise happiness because that's not always the case. The crowd here, they wanted to take Jesus by force. And, you know, it wasn't like the first time where the, the devil was trying to tempt Jesus. This was the crowd. But, but I was thinking, you know, the desire behind it was evil. It was of the devil because let's make him king so that we can be taken care of. Let's make him king so that we can again be finally happy. It was about them. It was about the miracle and not the person of Jesus. They, they missed the point, huh? They missed the point. The miracle was to point them to God. The miracle was God's gracious answer to point them, to get them to open their eyes to who he was. But instead, they wanted to make God and bring him down and make him the earthly king because they were after the miracle. Jesus, I want to be very sensitive in this because, you know, we're praying for miracles we're praying for, for people to be healed. We're praying for marriages to be reconciled. We're praying for uh, uh, health of people. We're praying for financial hardships. And we've got to continue to pray. We've got to continue to lift up our supplications. But we've got to also be, be, be at a place in our walk, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, where it's not so much of, Jesus, what can you give me? It's how much you need Jesus, Period. It's that he's become your breath, that he's become your life, that everything about Jesus that you couldn't live without him. I think of you know, the, 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 the situation where Jesus said some harsh words. He said some hard words to deal with, and a lot of people left him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me as well? And we know all the words, right? Peter said, where would we go? Where would we go? Are you at that place where you would say, where would we go? Or are you hanging on to a, to a thread saying, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back to the world. I'm ready to go find the answers. I'm ready to go deal with this situation. I'm ready to go find a wife over there. Not like how God wants me to do it, but the way I want to do it. And we have to follow Jesus for who he is. We have to follow Jesus because we need him. And you know what? Sometimes he won't answer our prayer. 
Sometimes he'll allow us to go through the trials. And some of you that have went through trials, you would be the first to say, you know what, There's, I didn't like it. I, I wouldn't choose it. But that's probably when I was the closest to Jesus. Isn't that true? When we're on our knees, when we're praying, when we're just constantly in communication with him because we're just at a place where there's just no one else. You know, when it's, when it's good, when it's hunky-dory, we, we tend to kind of slack off, huh? But, but when it comes to something, a loved one, something, we are on our knees. We're, we're in constant communication with the Lord. So sometimes the trials cause us to grow more. Well, let's continue reading. Look at verses 16 through 17. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over to the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. If there's anything that you can count on is that there is going to be trials in life, that there is going to be storms in life. It's interesting because, again, we can go back to the other Gospels and kind of get a, a bigger picture of what's going on here. In Matthew 14, 22, it tells us that Jesus actually made the disciples cross without him. The King James Version Bible uses the word constrain, which means to compel, to force them to go by themselves. He was telling them to go into the storm. He was allowing them to go into the storm. Not because Jesus is the author of evil or of our trials, but because in those trials, in those storms, we grow when we wait on him, when we're patient, when all we can rely on is on Jesus. And he shows up right in the nick of time, huh? Sometimes we want him to come a little early, like, Lord, come on, show up. But we know that God is never early or he's never late. And so he uses the trials to grow us. Um, you know, it's not a stretch to, to, to say that the disciples had to be confused at this moment. Think about what they had just gone through, you know. They, they had just witnessed an amazing miracle of Jesus. The crowds were flocking to him. They wanted to make him king. They were under the, the assumption that he was the Messiah, but that he was the Messiah that was supposed to come and also settle the score for them, huh? Also make things right. They, they didn't understand that he was so much more than who he was. They, they actually thought that he was going to be the white shining armor showing up on the horse and kicking butt, right? And so they must have been confused. They must have been bummed down. But what I like about the disciples is that they were obedient to what Jesus told them to do, right? They went. They went. Even though they didn't understand, they went. And, and I like what Isaiah 55, 8 tells us, right? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And verse 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we're told sometimes to get into the boat. We're, we're told sometimes to go into the, the midst of the storm, and we feel alone just like these disciples fell alone without Jesus. But, but Jesus was there. You know, these guys were fishermen, so they were used to the water. But verse 18 tells us that the, the, the strong wind was causing the water to grow, Right? This, this, this Sea of Galilee is not really a sea. It's a lake. It's known also as the Lake of Tiberias. This lake is situated 600 feet below sea level. And, and due to the position that it's at and the hills that are surrounding it, when the winds come down, especially towards you know, dark, they come down this way and the winds of the, of the water meet those winds and it just creates a storm. And so it's not unusual to have these type of 
uh, uh, storms in that lake. It actually is reported even today that, that during these storms there could be waves uh, five to eight feet tall. You know, so this, this wasn't unusual. Uh, the disciples, yet they, they got into the boat. Mark, uh, Matthew 14, 24 says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Uh, the Gospel of Mark um, in uh, chapter 6 tells us that Jesus, while on the mountain praying, this is so cool, saw the disciples struggling in the storm. Now, whether that be he just had a, a, a good eyesight, right, and he was at a, at a high level where he can see far enough, because they said that it, they were like three to four miles out, right? Or... And this is what I believe, just through who Jesus was, is, 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 is omniscient, right? He, he, he was, he's God, and so he, he can see them struggling in the mist. And, and that's a, a note to us that if we are children of God, he can see us when we're in our trials, when we're in our storms. We're not alone. Even if it's not, not in the boat with us, we're not alone. Let's read it where it says in verses 19 through 21, John. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now this is the second miracle, huh? This is a miracle that we're very familiar with, Jesus walking on water. But this miracle was actually a little bit different because the first miracle was for the masses. This miracle was just for the disciples. They were the only ones present, right? And, and, and if you read Matthew and Mark, it says that they were afraid. They were terrified. They actually thought that they had seen a ghost, which you and I would think the same thing, right, if we saw somebody walking uh, on the water towards us. But I love the fact that it says that when Jesus declared himself, when Jesus said, it is I, they willingly received him. They willingly received him. What a picture of what a person's heart should be like, huh? You know, to willingly receive Jesus. Just like Jesus knew the heart of those that were following him for an ulterior motive, for material things, he also knows the heart that is sincere. He knows if you have a sincere heart. He knows you intimately. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants to fellowship. He wants to be intimately involved with us. You know, it's no coincidence that when Jesus was in the boat, when he got into the boat, when they received him, things became a lot smoother, huh? There's some scholars that believe that this was another miracle. Because it says that when he got into the boat, he immediately wore at the shore, right? Maybe it was. I don't know. But I tend to think that, that, that because Jesus was in the boat, things got better. Because they invited, because they received Jesus, their storm dissipated somewhat. And, and Matthew tells us that when he got into the boat, this, the, the wind ceased. I would imagine the water still had some time to go, right, to calm down. But now that he was in the boat, things were smoother. They knew that they were going to get to their destination. And that's the same thing for our lives. We need to invite Jesus into our storms. So God causes, he causes these storms in our life um, to grow our faith. And, and it's so cool that the disciples' faith grew because in Matthew 14, it tells us that those who were in the boat, the disciples, came and worshipped him saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is the first time the disciples ever made that type of statement. 
where they declared to Jesus, you are the son of God. It's the first time. And, you know, again, if we were honest, we would all admit that during those times of trials, that's when we, we, we draw closer to Jesus. That's when the worship is the sweetest, huh? You know, it, it's hurting. And you're in pain, and inside you're crying, even though on the outside you're laughing, but the worship is just real. That's what was happening here with them. They, they got through the storm, and their worship was sweet. We grow to know and trust Jesus' purposes in the trials he puts us through. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. So let's look at verses 22 and 25, I have to say. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, notice they're watching, they're looking for him, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So the day after, some of the people who were there, who got fed, who, who, who were witness to this amazing miracle, they couldn't find Jesus, and they got hungry again, huh? They got hungry again, and they started looking for more bread. They, they were looking from everywhere. They, they were looking at the boats. They were looking, at the, looking for the disciples, and he couldn't be found. So on the first opportunity they had, what did they do? They crossed this lake. Even though there was a storm the night before, they crossed the lake to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And it's just interesting because it shows us to what length we as people will go for that which is material. Now think about it, you know. You know, they had to look. They, they, were, they were hawking Jesus, right? Where is he? Where is he? Okay, let's go after him. They got into a boat. They went through some trouble for it. You know, and, and again, I want to be so sensitive with this because, you know, we, we have people, and there's some sincere needs, and the church is called to meet those needs. But we have people that call us here at the church that we don't even know and they're looking for things. And, and, and we say, look, Jesus has so much for you. Come, we'll give you food. We'll sit with you. And we try to tell them about Jesus, but they're not looking for Jesus. All they're looking for is what Jesus can give them, what Jesus can offer them. They don't want to submit into his lordship. They don't want to repent. They don't want to change their lifestyle, but they want the benefits of what Jesus can give them. So, you know, when they ask Jesus, where did you, where, when did you get here? How did you get here? Jesus at that point could have tripped them out, huh? He could have said, I walked. What? You walked? Yeah, you walked on water. Bringing them into the miracle, allowing them to see the miracle, hopefully, uh, you know, so that they can see who he is. But Jesus knew their heart. He knew that they were just after an ulterior motive. And so look what he said. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Ouch. That hurts. You know, I, I wonder what those preachers who teach the health, wealth, and prosperity do with this verse. 
Ezekiel 33:31 is an amazing verse, and it's convicting, and it points exactly to this, because it says, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Philippians 2.21 states, For they all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. I know that's none of you, but there might be somebody here who is seeking Jesus for an ulterior motive. And I would say, you know what? Seek Jesus for who he is. He'll give you all the benefits of what you're looking for, but what you really need is a, a relationship. Warren Worsby said, at least when they were attracted by the miracles, there was a possibility of salvation. But now their motive was to be fed. Now their motive was about self. Someone else said, they sought to obtain, but not to remain. Matthew 7, 22 to 23 is a verse we've all heard, right? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast demons in your name? Have we not wore the Calvary Chapel shirt? No, it doesn't say that. How, you know, we've done many wonders in your name. And what does Jesus declare? He declares, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, because their eyes were solely on the gift, they failed to understand who it was that was giving it to them. You see, it kind of reminds me of the Samaritan woman. You guys remember that, right? Remember when she, Jesus had asked her for a drink? They were sitting by a well. I, I think Jesus purposely did this to get to this person's heart, to, to reach this woman. So sitting by a well, he asked her for a drink. And what does the woman say? You know, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked for a drink from me? In John chapter 4, verse 9, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And you remember Jesus' reply, right? If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If these people who were flocking to Jesus looking for more bread would have truly known the miracle maker who gave them the bread, they would have, given, they would have been given so much more than just fish and bread, huh? You know, sadly, we, we, live, we live in a, not a selfless society, but a selfie society. You know, a society that, that, that really, the narcissism is creeping into the church. And we're molding Jesus to fit that image that we want to fit. You know, not you, this cabbage up on money. But there's many churches where they come and they want to be entertained. You know, they, 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 they score the worship, you know. Ah, they got a five today. You know? they, they score the, the pastor. You know what, he just said a couple clever things. You know, it, it didn't really reach me. Where the church before was that the people came and they fell in repentance of who God was. That was the early church. They would come and they would sing hymns in worship of who God is. We have to be careful that we don't allow the world to creep in. You know, I'm sure you guys have heard about the pastor who was asking for $65 million, I can't even say the word, it's too big, to buy a plane. <laughs> to buy a plane, to buy a jet, right? I want to be a part of the jet team, I guess. <laughs> and he has a jet. That's what's crazy about it. He's got a jet, but it's just become a little outdated, you know. Um, and what trips me out is that his congregation doesn't bat an eye. They don't bat an eye because they're just as greedy as him. 
they create the monster. They allow the machine to keep going. They fall for the line that if you sow a thousand, you'll get ten thousand dollars back. Be careful if you watch TBN. Is it TBN? Yeah, I think so, right? Be careful. I'm not saying that there's not pastors that are, that are teaching the word, but there's also some, you know, there's this, there's asking for $65 million to buy a jet. But really, I, I blame the church, you know, because what is he still doing in the pulpit? Why is that money still coming in? Because instead of going to church and worshiping God, what they're doing is they're playing the lotto, huh? They're hoping that if they give, they're going to get back. That's not, that shouldn't be us. We shouldn't want to thank you. God has given us everything. We breathe because of God. We're looking for a pat on the back. We're looking to get back from God. That's not the way it works. You know, considering what all these people went through to find Jesus, the waiting, the traveling, as we read verse 27, keep that in the back of your mind. Look at what it says. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. We follow Jesus because he's the truth, the way, and the life. We follow Jesus because without him, none of us would go to heaven. That is the reason why we follow Jesus. A lot of us came to Jesus for something. I did. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. My marriage was falling apart. I I was in desperate need. And God so graciously answered my prayer. But if I would have stood there demanding and asking, it's like the title, right? Give me, Jesus. Give me, Jesus. Where instead we should be saying, give me, Jesus. I want Jesus. It's that song, right? You know, in the morning when I rise, give me, Jesus. You can have this whole world. Just give me, Jesus. Is that our heart as the church? We need to ask ourselves those tough questions. Are we just playing church? I am so blessed with the work that God is doing here. I mean, to see the new faces, we are so blessed. We're praying. We're praying for you. We're praying that God would do a deep work in your heart. That through his word, his word would just, man, it would just zap you to where you just become his vessels and you would go out and be used by him. You know, it's not just about coming to church on Sunday. And then going home and doing your thing. Because now you feel better. It's about being the church. It's about living as sons and daughters of God. Jesus told the crowd, you did all this work just to attain that which is going to perish. Do work for the food which is going to last forever. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's nothing wrong with having the house, the car, the vacations, the things, the iPhone, the iPhone watch. <laughs> as, that, as long as that's not what you're laboring for, Right? As long as those things don't own you. I like what one rabbi once said. He says, happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. I like it so much, I'm going to repeat it. Happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. Do you want what you have? Are you grateful for the things that you have? I pray that we are. 
pursuing Jesus for our self-motive is wrong, huh? And it really is a waste of time because we saw that it repels Jesus. He didn't want to be made king. He didn't come for that. He didn't come for the accolades. He didn't come for the throne that man could give. He had the throne. He's the king of kings. Like Anthony said earlier, he's the last king standing. You know, he doesn't need our accolades. Ecclesians, uh, Ecclesiastes, excuse me, 6, 7 says, All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. Isn't that the truth? I mean, think of the, the, the individual that, that wrote this. It was Solomon. You know, Bill Gates couldn't touch this dude, right? He had all the money in the world, and yet if you read Ecclesiastes, the guy was empty. He was empty. The money didn't mean anything. He said it's all vanity. You know, we have to know that it's about our relationship with Jesus. The, the labor that Jesus is talking about here is a faith which produces real fruit. It's not the one that you toil for, that you're striving for. It's not the religious things. It's the faith that automatically bears forth fruit because you have Jesus inside of you and he is doing a work. This is, again, not something that you need to toil for or, or, or buy. Because notice what Jesus tells them. The Son of Man will give you. He will give you. You know, he, he has the authority to do so because he has a Father's seal. The seal, as we know, is that official mark, right? They would set the seal and they would stamp it. And nobody can take that seal apart. That was the King's seal. He has the King's seal. You know, the, the, the voice of God in, in, in Matthew 3.17 that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. To me, that's the seal. God was placing the seal in Jesus. But it's almost as if they weren't listening, huh? Or perhaps what they heard was labor. Because look at their response in verse 28. And they said to him, what shall we do that we, that we may work the works of God? How do we do this? God, show us the formula, you know? Teach me how to fish. Teach me how to make bread. I want to do it. You know, I want to do it for myself. I'm self-dependent. But Ephesians 2.8 tells us that it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. If you don't want to give it to me, then I could work for it, right? No. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in whom he sent. That's what God calls us to do, to believe in Jesus. In our belief in Jesus, in that true belief in Jesus, in that obedience, God will begin to do a work. You don't got to do a million push-ups. You don't have to pay a fine. You don't got to do community service. You don't have to fulfill your religious duty. You just have to have faith in the one that he sent. What's the commandment? In 1 John 3.23 it says, And this is his commandment that we should believe on name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us a commandment. But look at their response in verse 31. They just didn't get it. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then? Okay, well, then, you know, you, 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 uh, you said just to believe on it. Well, what sign are you going to do for us, Jesus, so that we may believe in you? What work will you do? Back to the bread. Our fathers, they ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Again, it's a material thing, huh? They were looking for something. And to me, it's interesting that they pointed to the manna, the same food that after God miraculously and graciously gave to them in the wilderness was the same food that they later rejected, huh? Ah, manna again? Are you serious? 
I mean, like, mix it up, right? Give me some arroz and some, you know, carne asada or something. I was going to say chorizo con papas, but that's Manny's favorite verse, right? <laughs> if, we, if we follow Jesus for what he could give us, we're always going to want more. You know, I think of the lepers that were healed. Ten lepers were healed. How many came back? If we're just after Jesus for, 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 for that thing which he can give us, even as good as it is, the healing, the, the, the job, the wife, the, the, the freedom from the bondage, and then when we get it, we're going to leave. Or worse yet, when we don't, we're going to say, yeah, you don't work. But if we discover who Jesus is, if we know that he is the truth, the way, and the life, if we know that he is the only way, that if we, we have the heart of Peter and the disciples that says, where would we go without you? Then I think things are going to change. A lot of people are like that, huh? God shows them sign after sign, and they still don't believe. And, and one commentator said it right on the money. He says, it's not a lack of proof that keeps people away from Jesus. It, it's a lack of heart. It's a lack of heart. They don't want to commit. They want, they want the stuff. They just don't want to come into his lordship. Luke 11, uh, verses 29 through 30 says, The people were also asking for a sign, and this is Jesus' response. This is an evil generation, he says. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to him except the sign of Jonah the prophet. What is he talking about? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. And that's exactly what he did. Huh? Over 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross. He rose days later. He, he gave us the sign of Jonah. Look at verses 32 and 33. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus starts off by correcting him. Huh? He wasn't Moses. He got it wrong. It wasn't Moses that gave you the man. It wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. It was my father. In fact, my father is giving you a truer bread. Me. Wonder bread, huh? <laughs> he starts telling them, this bread came down from heaven and it gives light to the world. He's talking about himself. But they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. Because look what it says in verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Hook it up. Sign me up. I want a lifetime membership. The Bible tells us that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. They couldn't understand that Jesus was talking about himself. They couldn't understand that he was the bread, the true bread that gives life for eternity. Now, several commentators feel like this word Lord, that this, this New King James uses, it, it isn't the best word that could be used. A better word would be sir. Give us this bread always. And in fact, if you have an NIV or a New Living Translation or even an ESV, that's the word that they use, sir, because these were unbelievers. So what does Jesus do? He plainly spells it out for them. Look what it says in verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. An amazing verse, huh? I mean, this is the first of seven I am verses in the Gospel of John. Jesus is basically proclaiming, I am God. I am the source of eternal life. Jesus is good bread, huh? 
Because if you're a bread connoisseur like me, anytime you eat bread, I get thirsty. But look what it says there. You're going to eat this bread, you're not going to be hungry, and you're not going to thirst. Praise God for that. Psalm 23, 1, what does it say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want. No, yeah, I shall not want, huh? What does that mean? I shall not want because Jesus is going to hook me up with the bands. He's going to give me the bling bling. He's going to give me the house in Arcadia. He's going to give me that job I want. He's going to give me everything I shall not want. No. I shall not want because everything that I desire, everything that I have is found in Jesus. That wife, that job, that whatever it is that I'm praying will be found in Jesus. I shall not want. That should be our heart. It's very similar to the passage that, that uh, Jesus said in John 4, 14. Whoever drinks of the water, again, the Samaritan woman, that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. It's sad, you know, because these Jews were satisfied with just a lifetime supply. Where God, where Jesus was offering them an eternal nourishment. Verse 36, but I say to you that you have seen me and do not believe. You've seen all the miracles. These miracles were supposed to point to who I am. They were supposed to open your eyes so that you could really see the true picture. But you've seen it and you still don't believe. What a contrast, huh? To those of us who have never seen Jesus and yet we believe. It's what Jesus told Thomas, huh? He said, Thomas, you believe because you're, I'm right here, right in front of you. You can, you can see the wounds in my hand. You can stick your, your hand in, 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 on my side. But blessed are those who believe, even though they don't see. First Peter 1, 8 through 9 is a similar verse. Having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith. It's all about faith. Again, remember the signs and miracles pointed to Jesus. These people were fed with miraculous food. They were witnesses to the healing that Jesus did, yet they did not believe, Jesus said. And, and you know, Jesus is still asking that question of the church and of the world, who do you say that I am? Jesus, please heal. Jesus, please mend. Jesus, please help. Jesus, please fill in the blank, whatever that might be. God is so gracious that many times he answers our prayer, huh? Now, a lot of us are witnesses to prayers that have been answered. He does so that our eyes can be open to who he is. He uses these trials sometimes when he doesn't answer to make us stronger. It's like someone said, grace grows best in winter. He loves us sometimes to allow us to go through these crazy things, through these trials, because he's doing something inside. But, but if our walk with the Lord is solely based on what he can provide for us, then, then our faith is weak and it's misguided. Let's, let's finish off verses 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That all he has given me I shall lose nothing, but should raise up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. This is the Lord's mission. This is what He came for. He didn't come to make us happy. Are you kidding me? 
you know, happiness is a part of knowing Jesus. He said, I came to give you life and that in abundance. But when you know Jesus, even through your suffering, you could have joy. It's amazing. You know, he didn't come to make us happy. He came to save us. The, the, the Lord will reveal himself to all of us. He stands again at the door and he knocks. He uses miracles. He uses trials to get us to see who he is. You know, when I think of my life and I think of those times where I should have been dead in jail, I just, I praise God because, man, I just see how much grace he's shown me. Even when I was still yet his enemy, even when I was still spitting in his face, even when I was still mocking him. But now knowing him, you know, I still need him and I still need of him, but I, I, I'm finding myself that I'm going from needing something from him to just needing him. And that should be our heart. I think that's what it's communicating here. John uh, 16, 45, Jesus says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. God wants us to hear, and he wants us to learn. The signs all around us just have to open our ears and our hearts, and we will hear and we will see. We know that it's the Father's will that no one shall perish, right? but that everyone who sees his son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That is not the God that chooses that person and that person, but not that person. He chooses everyone, but it's up to us. It's a choice that we make. And I just want to end it with this verse because I think it kind of caps exactly the, 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 the message that we're talking about today. John twenty thirty. it tells us very clearly, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Somewhere else says that if the Bible recorded everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to capture everything, okay? And it says, In the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So which one is going to be? What's the punctuation of your life? Is it give me, comma, Jesus? Or you scratch the comma and you say, give me Jesus. Same, same sentence, two different meanings. You have to ask yourself, what is the punctuation of my life? I want to invite, if there's anyone here that just came, you know, and you just, you're curious and you just came to hear. Maybe you came looking for something. Maybe you are one of those people in the desperate situation where your marriage is falling apart, where the drugs, where the sin, where the alcohol finally has told you you can't do nothing. You're powerless against me. And you came looking for the answer. This is not for you. Jesus is going to use those things and he's going to transform your life. Okay, I would invite you to receive Jesus today. It's as simple as just saying, Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I want to turn from those sins. I need your help in doing so. I believe that you sent, that you were sent to die for me and that you paid for my sins. And in your rising, it displays the power of that message. If you say that to God between yourselves, then your slate is clean. And God can begin that transforming work. But if you're just here looking for what you can get out of Jesus, you're wasting your time. Because what Jesus wants to give you is that true bread that gives everlasting life. I challenge you, if you're a Christian here and it's just become kind of like, yeah, yeah I've, I've heard it before. It's just bouncing off now, you know. 
allow yourself to go to that place of who Jesus Christ is. Who is it that you're serving? Who is it that you're coming here to worship? Who is it that you're coming here to hear from? Is it Manny? Or is it, is it God, his word, his direction, his worship? You got to ask yourself that. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I just want to thank you so much, God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, Lord. Um, you know, Lord, just the struggles that I had with this passage, Lord. I, I don't, I'm in the same boat, Lord. I don't want to beat anybody up, but I just felt your tug. I felt like you just didn't want me to let go of it, Lord. And I just so pray that you would just do that work, God. If there's anyone here that, Lord, perhaps doesn't know you, came looking for something, came looking for food, came looking for bread, came looking for fish, that you would give them that, Lord, and that that, Lord, would open their eyes to who you are, that they just wouldn't walk away with the simple fish and the bread, but that they would walk away with eternity, Lord. And Lord, for us as Christians, God, I don't know how long we've been Christians, but it's just, if we're just going through the motion, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that you are the great I am, Jesus. And that that in itself, Father, would help us to really just get back into serving you and worshiping you and knowing you, God. And, and, and if there's anyone here, I don't want to leave without the opportunity to just simply invite you to receive Jesus. I don't want to have you to get up. I don't have you have you stand, raise your hand, nothing like that. Just between you and Jesus right now. If this is you, just repeat the simple prayer in your heart. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I repent for my sin. I need you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose. And I believe that because of you, I will one day be in heaven. Give me that, that bread. Give me eternity. Thank you, Master, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.